the marketing team does not respect that the sales team's sole job is revenue generation. That's what they do. And you are there to facilitate that every step of the way. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. Today, I'm your host, Matt Curvilla, and I am extremely pumped to bring on Natalie Jackson on a very fun topic evolving from digital lead generation to digital demand generation. Uh, Natalie Jackson is a director of demand generation at CBiz and co-host of the podcast Humans of Email. She has 12 plus years of experience in B2B marketing, demand generation, email strategy, and digital, kind of everything important in B2B. And Natalie has spoken at and for marketing profs, really good emails, digital summits, and the CRMUG summit, as well as for dozens of email webinars and local marketing events. You actually, if you're interested in this show, you can catch her yourself this September 2022 at Dreamforce as well. Natalie, I'm excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. I'm excited to talk to you as well. I feel like um, I always have a pleasure talking to you, so (laughs) this should be fun. I think so, too. Well, Natalie, for those who don't know you, why don't you start with a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your journey. Yeah, um, it's a great question. You know, I I actually have kind of a funny, long-winded journey into digital marketing and into demand generation. So I started on the content side of things. I actually was an MFA in creative writing and uh, was like, what am I going to do with this? (laughs) So I finished finished my MFA in 2010. It was like the bottom of the Great Recession. And I was like, can you get paid to write short stories? It turns out no, Um, but you can get paid to write content. And so that's how I got into marketing in the first place is uh, desperation and a quick learning that I need to pay your bills. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because once I got into marketing, I was almost like a little annoyed that no one told me about it. You know, (laughs) I spent my whole career, you know, trying to be a fiction writer and it turns out you still can be, I'm still a fiction writer and, and that's great. But it it was like, once I got into marketing, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is storytelling. This is character driven. All of this, like the entirety of the marketing funnel, the entirety of like the customer journey. I was like, you can map this to the narrative journey and you can put together really successful marketing campaigns using the same elements as like writing a good novel or writing a good short story. And once I figured that out, I was like, okay, well, this is great. And I love it. Um, I've always been in B2B except for like a very short blip in not-for-profit, which was like also kind of B2B because, you know, you were always asking people for money and they were usually businesses. Um, (laughs) And I love it. I mean, sometimes I will say on like hard days, I look at B2C marketers and I'm like, oh, y'all are so lucky. But it's so easy. easy. Um, And they're probably out there. They're like, it's not as easy as you think it is. But like (laughs) so much harder in B2B. And I, I love that challenge. Like I love trying to think about like the long game and like knowing that, you know, anybody that I attract now isn't probably going to be ready to buy for, you know, at least a few months. So like, how do you keep them on the hook? I mean, isn't that's narrative arc, right? How do you keep somebody interested in the story? So that's how I got here. Um, And I'm at CBiz now. I love it. I've been here a little over a year. It's such a cool, fantastic, fun company um, with great values. So it's been great. Well, I'm glad you found the company and I'm glad you found marketing. And I totally agree with you. I just feel like there is an art to marketing, even in B2B. And 
I think I've heard it once where Nick Panay from DXC, he, he shared, he's like, well, why do we call it case studies? It sounds like, it sounds like police work. It's actually, it's actually a client story. And <laughs> the better you can tell a story, the better you get across what you represent and the better you get across what you represent, the more likely it's someone who wants to do business with you. So i just, I love how you capture that. So it's I guess while, while we're talking about it, the, the, the there, there's like this need uh, that we've talked about around this, about evolving from digital lead generation to demand generation. So I guess while we're on the topic, let's just start with defining things for a moment. In your in your um, words, what's the difference between digital lead gen and demand gen? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, digital lead generation is kind of like, it, it's, um, it's sort of this idea that like, all it takes is for you to get the right message in front of the right person at the right moment. And they're, they're going to be buyer ready. And they're going to be like, yep, okay, I'm here, I want to fill out a form and get an appointment, and I'm going to become new business and, and off we go. And and I think that like, nice. there's still, I think there's still a lot of value there. And I feel like, as B2B marketers, that's sort of where our bread and butter has been with digital is like, oh, great, I can use this tool, whether it's email, whether it's paid ads, whether it's my website to generate buyer ready leads. And you still can. That is all still valid. But I feel like as as digital marketing has evolved, as the marketplace has evolved, as buyers have become more sophisticated, as there's been more information that has entered the space, right? I mean, uh, you've probably seen, obviously, I'm not in MarTech anymore, but I used to be in MarTech. And you've probably seen that MarTech 3000 with mm-hmm. like how many different software tools are out there for marketers alone. I mean, the the entire marketplace for, for tech has exploded, for B2B services has exploded. And this idea that like all it takes is for you to get your message in front of one person one time and they're ready to go, um, it's transforming, right? Um, so, so while that's still, I think, an important part of any B2B strategy... I think it's time for B2B marketers who have not already done so to start thinking about the long game. And demand gen is what I see as the long game. That's where Mm -hmm. you are reacting to the fact that um, this great statistic that I shared with you, Matt, when we talked a few weeks ago, which is that I think it was the Aaron Bear Institute was like, basically that at any given time, only 5% of your target market is in market to buy. And that's because they're stuck in contracts or maybe they're just, they don't have budget approval yet. There's a, there's a myriad of factors why they're not quite ready to buy yet. So, so if you're only focusing on that 5%, which is digital lead generation, you're missing the other 95% of people who will eventually be mm-hmm. in market to buy. And that's where demand generation comes into play for me. How are you setting up your brand as a thought leader? How are you establishing trust and credibility? How are you getting in front of people organically? Um, and also from a paid strategy, um, but but with messaging that's that's more of a nurture message, of with messaging that says like, hey, I know you're not ready right now, and I'm going to be respectful of that. But when you are ready, I want you to think of me first and reach out to me proactively to put me in your top three to five vendors that mm-hmm. you want to talk to. I love that. That's such a great definition to do demand generation today. And I'm I'm curious. I mean, so much of our our lives in, in the marketing and B2B space is just showing people who don't know marketing the way we do that our programs are working. So I'm curious when you're, when it comes down to measuring success with the long game, how does that change? <laughs> so, uh, I laugh That's because an easy it, one. No big deal. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, this is like, this is, this is where I think the rubber meets the road for, for B2B and for demand gen, right? I mean, digital lead generation is, is pretty straightforward. You have a campaign, 
Did a person convert on the campaign? Great. Awesome. You can tie that to an opportunity and you've measured your success, right? And that's like historically how B2B has measured success. I ran a campaign. It drove X number of leads. X percent of those leads turned into opportunities. X percent of those opportunities turned into new business. That's how you measure it. Pretty straightforward. And tools like Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, all of our CRMs are set up to measure that. And the idea is that like there's this one-to-one conversion point, right? Um, the reality, though, is that that's not how the buyer is buying, right? We've got this introduction of buying committees. We've got the fact that it takes, I think, a minimum on average of 13 pieces of content consumed before a person's like truly ready. So you're talking long game here. And I think like... In B2B services, which is where I am, um, the game's even longer, right? Software sometimes can have like a a slightly shorter buyer cycle, but like services, man, that's a relationship sell. And I think when you look at like relationship sell and you look at how many campaigns a person has to be in, how many touch points they have to have, it gets really tricky enough just to figure out which campaign was the campaign that drove them in. But that's just still looking at lead generation. When you start thinking about demand gen, I mean, really what you're looking at is overall influence. And that's where I think what you'll probably see, my prediction, Natalie's uh, fortune telling (laughs) crystal ball here, is like that's going to probably lead to a surge in in analytics tools that can help us measure multi-channel, not digital and digital interactions for correlative influence and growth and pipeline, which is much trickier to sell to people who are not in marketing, who are more accustomed to that one-to-one, we ran a campaign and it drove X number of dollars kinds of conversation. I mean, it's a real challenge for marketers, but I think it's one that's worth having, right? It's totally worth having. And in a way, Matt, it's funny because I almost liken it to like the billboard conversation. And I don't know if you remember like 10 years ago, like the sell of digital was like, it's not like having a billboard. You can actually measure this. (laughs) (laughs) And like in a way, it's almost like we're like, okay, but like we still should have billboards except now they're digital. We should say, exactly, exactly. And I I love how you... It, it totally comes back to, well, it comes back to the, the message that you show on a billboard or, or any, you know, email or ad or your website, I think is so, it's so critical to know your customers so that the message is, is meets them where they're at. But to your point, now there's so much technology available to measure engagement and our accounts engage now more than they used to be. And you're right, really? correl- correlative, I thought was just such a good apt word to use. Um, but one, one thing I'm noticing is, I mean, you measure engagement across so many different channels, digital, non-digital. But one thing that's a driving force of any B2B uh, marketing discipline is, is email. And you in particular mm-hmm. have a ton of expertise around email. So I, it's it's a vital part of demand gem. I mean, I mean, just let's just isolate it down to email for a moment. In your mind, how do people think of email and B two B? What are they? What do they got right, or maybe what are they overlooking? Maybe in B two B. Oh my gosh, Matt! You know I'm an email geek. It's my favorite channel. Don't tell the other channels, <laughs> but it's definitely my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the beauty of email is that it's it's a relationship tool, right? Um, and that's I think what people often overlook, especially in B two B, is that. The value email brings to the table is that it is helping you continue and build on a relationship. And that's how it should be viewed. Now, I think what's interesting is when you look at the data, 
um, oftentimes leads that are generated elsewhere, content syndication, paid ads, um, website, et cetera, that are oftentimes not like quite buyer ready yet. I'm thinking of MQLs here. Um, oftentimes the channel where they will ultimately convert is email. So email is critically important to the buyer journey, especially in B2B, because that is your mechanism for staying top of mind, for establishing yourself as a thought leader, for establishing trust and credibility, and also just for like decreasing friction by being in the inbox at the right moment. Where I think though people go wrong with email is in B2B in particular, there are kind of two things that, that I always like to say. One is um, we got so excited about email and like the ability to email people that we started, we stopped thinking, uh, you know, kind of should we email and started just thinking like, can we, right? So um, it's the, hmm. the classic Jurassic Park, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> we got so obsessed with like, could we? We never stopped to ask, should we? And so we oftentimes yeah. don't email appropriately. We don't email when it's adding value to the recipient. Instead, B2B tends to email when it's adding value to the sales team or to the company or to the marketing strategy. And what you see a lot of times, um, and I used to work at an agency and, and saw this time and time and time again in B2B, is um, what you see is, is this like disconnect between the fact that the inbox is a person, there's a person who's in that inbox. And the fact that like the narrative that we have in a B2B marketing org is often data or prospects. And that's how we talk about these people. We oh, talk yeah. about them as data points, talk about them as prospects. And like what you'll hear is very commonly like a leadership or a sales team person will say, we just need to email those people again. Why? If they didn't engage the first time, they weren't interested or the message wasn't compelling or it didn't add value to them. So, you know, I always feel like what you have to do with email in B2B is stop and ask yourself before you send it, am I adding value to the person I'm sending this to? Or am I sending this because someone told me to or because I have this aspiration that I want them to be ready for something they may or may not be ready for? I love how you said that. And so much of so much of what we need to do is just as we're sending the email, just in order to add value, you need to like uh, personalize at the right point. So that way, whatever your value proposition is, you're customizing it. So that way you're calling out what in particular is relevant to the person you're receiving it. And I'm just curious as you're as you're trying to navigate that balance between scale but also relevance. I mean, what in your mind? What's what are the right ways to to to, to do personalization? I mean, do you, do you need certain types of data? Is there like a a way to like a bucket up the people you're emailing so that way you're personalizing and staying relevant, but also you're reaching that scale and you're uh, getting getting the message out to the right person at the right time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's critical to building that relationship, right, is is what you're saying is like the difference between like, just, you know, saying, um, I always like to say it's like going into a networking conversation. And if you see someone you saw before just saying like, oh, hey, I think we met last time. And going up to somebody and saying, oh, hey, I think we met last time. How's your cat doing? Or you told me about this thing that was happening in your life. Like, can you, how's that going? Right. And and like, if you're ever in a networking situation, you know, which one of those two conversations like is, it resonates better with you, right? Like you want to talk to the yeah. person who clearly remembered you and is tailoring the conversation to you as an individual. I mean, that's just empathy, right? And there's no reason we can't do that in email. Now, the the hard part is like, 
there, well, there are two hard parts. Like one is that I think a lot of B2B email marketers get caught up in, well, I don't have the right data and I can't personalize because uh, my CRM team didn't put the data together in a way that I can access it. Or my sales team won't put this data point in that I really want, or I can't get the technology to talk to each other. So I can't do X, Y, Z thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And they get kind of caught up in like, what I would say is like the the run version of personalization in email, right? And they're like, well, I can't do personalization because I can't make it perfect. It's not going to look like the Fitbit email that I get once a week that breaks down every single data point that <laughs> they have on me, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's not how, you don't have to start there, right? You can work aspirationally to there, but like, you've really got to start thinking about, well, what data do I have? And um, my my podcast co-host, whom I just love dearly, Jen Capstraw, she said to me years ago, and I and it stuck with me all this time, is like, hey, if you don't have that data point, like, just ask. People will tell you, <laughs> which I think is so true. You know, we get so caught up in B2B sometimes of like, I'm going to try to be proactive and I'm going to guess what this person's interested in. And I'm going to guess what their next intent move is going to be. But like, why not just ask them? You know, I mean, we so at CBA is one of the things that we've been adding to our forms for MQL downloads is how do you want us to follow up with you? And we give people three options and we tailor the follow up message depending on how they respond. So the options are, please contact me about this. Great. Cool. We'll have someone contact you. You seem like you're sales ready. We have um, send me more information. So it's a softer sales touch, right? It's more of a relationship building touch. Like we'll send you some more relevant info on this and start kind of a person to person conversation. But we're not going to come at you with like book an appointment. And then the last one is I'm just researching. And to be honest, Matt, most of the people fill out. I'm just researching. And that's fine. But it allows us to deprioritize them, nurture them, and be responsive to that message. And that's personalization. So it's not always about like, I'm going to do something really sophisticated with a dozen data points that are all unique to this individual inside of right. email. Sometimes it's just like being reactive to what they're telling you. Yeah, I love I love that. I mean, and it, and it doesn't seem like you need all that much data or all that much technology in place in order to do that well. It's it's just so basic and simple. And I mean, before we before we I mean shift gears to to something else, I mean, are there any other tactics that you feel are just good to know? Or do you feel like it's kind of boiled down to start where you can start. So don't worry about being perfect. Ask folks when you don't have the answer, they're probably happy to tell you. And then also be respectful when they're ready to when they're not ready to engage with a salesperson or learn more about your product or service. Just be respectful, send them what they need and sort of sit back and warm them up. So that way, when they are ready for a partner, they know that in your case, CBiz is the right partner for them. Is there anything else that you would add in as a as a tactic that folks should consider? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I have this longstanding soapbox about the importance of having marketing involved and how a CRM is architected. So, I mean, yes, you definitely can ask and should ask questions of of your database, right, of of the people who are in your funnels. Um, But I think, too, like as you look to the next step of sophistication with using data to personalize the buyer journey, you are at some point as a marketer going to have to insert yourself in the data architecture conversation for your CRM system. And, And that, to me, like requires, I mean, I, I firmly believe that that marketers need more than just a service level understanding of how CRM systems work. You've got to understand like what's a lookup list, what's a pick list, what is a write-in field. 
How is that data architected on the back end? What are the validation rules in place and how could you use them? It, it, if you're using Salesforce, um, there's, you know, obviously Trailhead is a wealth of resources, but I think, you know, if you're using Microsoft Dynamics or something like that, they're all sort of founded on that same principle of data architecture. And, and I think like if you really want to be successful in demand gen or in digital strategy for B2B, you have got to understand how those databases work. And then you've got to think about how can I architect it with the idea that I'm asking for minimal input of data from a sales team because it's critically important right. to remember your sales team's job is not to enter data. They are not data entry people. They are revenue generators. Amen. Right? Like you cannot ask them or expect them to fill out 20 plus required fields on a lead form when their job is to sell. They are not paid to do your data entry work, right? So <laughs> that's always uh, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> Natalie, I have a little black book of, of people I would love for you to connect with, but I just, <laughs> I could not agree more with that topic. Yes, that is so true. Yes. Right? I, and I, yeah, I think a lot of marketers get caught up. They're like, well, we need the sales team to enter these 25 data points. And I'm like, do not do that with your they're sales team. They're like, obsessed I don't with data entry. Yeah, it's so, it's so true because like, they want to track everything. Yeah, then they're like, I don't understand why the sales team doesn't want to talk to us. And I'm like, oh, I have an idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, goodness. that to me is like where the rift begins between sales and marketing and a lot of orgs is because the marketing team does not respect that the sales team's sole job is revenue generation. That's what they do. And you are there to facilitate that every step of the way. Natalie, drink on me at my company sponsored event in two weeks at Dreamforce <laughs> just for that, just for that snippet, because I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. <laughs> Remember it. Respect them. They're the ones that give you bread. <laughs> um, and I think the other part is like, once you get to that point where you understand what data you need in your CRM system, like you've also got to be able to speak the language and figure out like, what does the integration look like? And then sell the story. Why do I need that data point? And where am I going to get it from? Um, but yeah. I think a lot of people, and this is something I saw a lot too, when I worked um, at an agency is like a lot of people want a ton of data in their CRM systems, but like they don't have a plan for how they're going to use it. And then it just clutters yeah. things up. It slows the system down. Um, you've got concerns around PII, depending on what kind of data you're trying to collect there. Totally. And, and like, you just need to have a really solid understanding of like, what is the bare minimum data point integration that you need to do the things that you want to do? And then you can build from there. But I feel like you, you really need a business case for every new data point that you want to connect between your CRM system and your marketing automation platform. Yeah, well said. And I think part of it is a sort of like spiritual exercise that a lot of companies are going through where the CRM wasn't viewed as necessarily as a revenue driving tool for a long time. Yeah. It was viewed yeah. as like a financial record keeping tool. Here's the opportunities mm -hmm. coming in. Here's when we forecast it. Here's what, you know, what, what our customer paid us on which date you're, you're so spot on that. I think that's changing for a lot of enterprises. And then the other thing that's changing sometimes is some enterprises are sort of sidestepping the CRM and saying CRM belongs to sales and sales operations. And so we as marketing, as an organization are going to invest in perhaps a CDP or a demand base or something like that. So that way you you come in and you can gather and segment all the data there. And that's, you, that's your marketing system of record because there's so much to your point. There's so many moving parts to the CRM. So I just thought that was so well, so well summarized. You know, we, we talk a lot about technology and I, I think email 
the website. These are like, I would say, cornerstones in how we communicate to prospects. And there's also cornerstone technologies, market automation, CRM, increasingly ABX. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you've, you've been in the space for so long and you see this from such like a human angle. What are some things that you could do without going out and buying new technology today? Like, let's say you, you're aspirational, you have your list of your wish list, but let's race it. We all have limited resources. What's your, what's your approach? Like, I can't buy technology right now. How do you, how do you sort of, if you're in that situation, what's your advice to, to a listener? Yeah, I keep a running tally of, uh, of ideas, like have like a little sheet of like, there's no content or extra money. What else can I do to drive up demand? And, okay. and like, honestly, most of it comes from the data that is in your CRM system. So Matt, like to your point that, that like viewing your CRM as a revenue driver, like this is, this is where that happens. Um, and, and I think honestly, it's because of, of, um, this evolution from digital lead generation to demand generation, right? So digital lead generation mm-hmm. looked at a CRM system that, uh, both Salesforce and Microsoft dynamics were kind of built this way. And the idea was that it's a one in one out kind of a, a, a yep. flat database at the leads, right? So it's leads are. Yeah, right, right. And leads are are kind of, and this is like, I used to see so many people with Microsoft Dynamics installs that would have this issue. Like the idea that, that these systems had was like, you drive a lead, lead sits there, it either gets qualified or disqualified immediately. And sure, you can have reasons, but like once it gets disqualified, like it goes into this like read-only state. And it's like dead mm. to you, right? <laughs> well, okay, but um, that's not how buyers work, right? So, <laughs> so I I, um, I kind of push back a little bit on how right. CRMs were architected, right? And obviously, like once you convert a lead into an opportunity account and a contact, like there's a little bit more stuff that you can do with it. But like the leads entity, like this is why I think you see so many big organizations, both who use Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics, like basically stop using the leads entity altogether, is because it just like wasn't built with the buyer journey in mind. And, you know, they find more flexibility on the account and contact side. However, I I still feel that there's value in using that tool. You just have to be a little bit more like crafty about how that data is architected, because what you're looking at in your standard CRM database is you've got lost opportunities who may have closed for reasons that are perfectly viable for you to follow up on in X amount of time. Um, You've got leads that maybe were converted at the wrong time that stalled out somewhere in the process. Um, You've got opportunities that maybe got booked, but then were ghosted, right? You've got um, leads Mm -hmm. that were disqualified at the time because maybe they weren't buyer ready right now. Who's to say they aren't buyer ready, you know, at these six months from now. Um, And then of course, you've got renewals, you've got upsells, you've got all of this data in your CRM system that is telling you, the marketer, that you have a captured audience of people who already know you, who've got a gazillion reasons for you to build out demand generation campaigns around what it is that they're doing. I mean, even just like cross serve up sell, right? I mean, you've got the data to tell you if, you know, 70% of my database has product A and product B, I need to go look at everybody who's got product A but doesn't have product B and find a way to sell it to them because clearly there's a high affinity there. So I think the more familiar you get with your CRM system and its data and how that data is architected, the more you can start to look there first and not have to spend extra money, not have to build out your brand first, not have to drum up new content in order to create campaigns that can be highly successful from a revenue demand generation perspective. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I love how you speak to that about all this like hidden hidden gems in your CRM, all these hidden gems. And, uh, and part of it is if you're an enterprise listener listening to this episode, I'm, your brand is probably already so well known in some capacity in your industry, at least. And so I think Natalie's point is I, I, I'm I find it well met because there's all these folks who already have an affinity to your brand, who've shown they've liked you enough to at least have a conversation with you. So why not start there? Why not start by going back there and just seeing if they're interested in exploring things further? So I love how you break that down. I mean, what I mean, one common thing though is as we're thinking about like this concept of not buying new technology, doing more with less. The, the economic climate has been extremely volatile in some ca- in some cases, and so oftentimes digital demand gen. To your point, it's such a long game; it's so hard to get across in certain cases. The, the impact of digital demand gen, especially if you haven't quite yet gotten those like executive the executive buy in on the fact that engagement is a leading indicator for revenue. So I'm just curious, in your situation at Sivas, how are you guys adapting to just economic volatility in general as it relates to to your go-to-market motion, so marketing and sales? I want to believe that, you know, volatility will flatten out a little bit. I mean, I do think that like any marketer, and, and this has sort of been, you know, I remember I said I entered the marketplace at the bottom of the of the Great Recession. So like my career as a marketer has been like, how do you get as much revenue and opportunity out of a budget as possible? That's sort of like how I've been foundationally framed as, as a marketer since then. Um, I mean, and I think it like it, obviously you have to spend money. Right. But I think that like reminding yourself that you already have quite a bit of demand generated in your existing data database and don't let it go to waste. Like, don't think about your CRM as that flat one in one out kind of database. Think of it more as like a living, breathing ecosystem. I mean, there's just so much you can do inside of that database that doesn't cost you a dime. And, and I think that like, just as a marketer, like being nimble, I mean, volatility is always going to happen, right? I mean, here we are 12 years after the great recession and, and we're talking about it again. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's going to happen. And honestly, like, I think the data says that this is like probably the longest we've gone um, in quite some time without having another economic dur- downturn, right? So we're, we're overdue right. is what I'm saying. And I think that like, as marketers, if you plan to be in this career, know that, you know, a lot of organizations um, will cut marketing when things Things get hairy and it's it's it will behoove you to um have a plan prepare yourself right and just know and like i said i keep that tally of campaign ideas that won't cost me a dime and i think if you can do something similar to that i mean gosh look at like dark social that doesn't cost any money right i mean there's there's all kinds of stuff that you can do that doesn't cost money, but does require relationship building and does require thinking about your database as a, as a living ecosystem. And if you can get your head there, you're going to do great regardless of the economic situation. I love that. And that's so true. I mean, it's the reality of our, our world. It's the reality of being in in business that sometimes companies are flourishing and sometimes they're struggling. And so the resilient marketer will have a plan for both a plan for when they're able to invest and a plan for when they're not able to invest. I just, I love how you outlined that. And I think that's more true now than ever. Um, 
So, I mean, this has been such an incredible conversation and hopefully everyone took away something around. There's a little bit of uh, the art of email, the data, the importance of segmentation. I mean, treating these contacts as people and uh, giving them a message that we feel like they're ready to, to actually hear. So, Natalie, I mean, just like stepping into your world for a second, I mean, media, books, blogs, newsletters, uh, videos, whatever it is. Is there anything that you that you just recommend to listeners? Could be work-related, could be not work-related. I mean, anything that you're into right now that you'd recommend? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like I have to give the, the standard plugs, right? Like, check out cbiz.com. We got a lot of great resources. And we really... <laughs> We truthfully, we do. Our team does uh, fantastic work with um, with content, and in fact, we actually have. If you're interested in in like you know, kind of the the what's going on in the economic climate right now, we actually have a resource hub for um, inflation right now. Content from all of our different areas of business around like what are some awesome. things you can do, how can you react. It's a really great resource hub, and we have a fantastic content team. So super proud of them. My secondary selfish plug would be my humans of email podcast, obviously. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. Um, Jen Capstraw and I have a really good time talking to. We say the people, the accidents, and the campaigns that are driving email forward. She's gonna laugh at me because I think I, I just that. butchered our tagline, um, which I always. Do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's really great. Um, resources that I'm not involved in that I really, really love. Um, I think, you know, if you're a Salesforce user, there's a ton of great content out there on Trailhead that's great. Um, and, and actually like a really important learning tracks for those of you out there who maybe aren't familiar with like the intricacies and nuance of data architecture, like highly recommend going down that road too. Um, and also just the, the team at uh, Really Good Emails. Do you know Really Good Emails, Matt? Yeah, I've heard the brand before. Ah, fantastic. Great people, really awesome um, website and brand. And and like their mission is like, how do we make email the best possible media it can be, right? Like, how do we, how do we really like showcase brands that are doing amazing things with email and pushing it to the next generation? Um, So great resource. I love to use it for inspirations. If I'm ever like, how am I going to approach this data point? I'll go on to, yeah, I'll go on there and be like, what are some other people doing? How are they, how are they managing it? That's fantastic. Well, thanks for, I mean, that's a good, that's a good assortment of things to, to work through. And I guess I, that we talked about media. How about people? I mean, you mentioned Jen Castro. I mean, any inspirational people uh, that you'd recommend we just bring out, try and bring out of the show? Yeah, Jen's great. Um, she's the co-founder of Women of Email as well. Um, really awesome person, great speaker, highly recommend. Um, and a couple other people in the B2B space. Um, you know, the other resource I didn't mention for B2B email marketers out there is um, if you haven't joined the Email Geeks Slack channel, there is a specific B2B email marketer subgroup in there. Um, and we actually meet virtually every other week to talk about like the nuances of B2B email and its particular challenges. And, and it is a group of ridiculously smart people who are so kind and willing to share their perspectives and their challenges. So definitely, um, if you go to emailgeeks.com, I think you can find the Slack channel. And it's it's great. As so opposed I, to the email group called Slack Geeks, where they email about <laughs> tips on communicating over Slack. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Um, a couple other people I really love in the, e- in the B2B email space. Um, Sam Bush at Flowcast is super smart. Um, she's sort of my Microsoft Dynamics uh, friend from back in my days when I was over in that space. And then um, awesome. 
Newt Bachter Smith is uh, she actually kind of I guess like manages the B two B email channel in that Slack group I mentioned. Um, she's a launch darkly and like if you want a smart B two B email Martech brain, like wow, she she is it. She's fantastic. She's the one. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, they sound all amazing. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to have them on the podcast. Um, so I guess in closing out, how do you, I mean, look, we, it's, it's so funny. We talk about getting in touch with people while well, you just ask, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm, I try to be as uh, <laughs> current on the socials as I can. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Natalie T. Jackson. Um, we also have our humans of email accounts and <clears throat> excuse me, um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Um, but that's a really good way to find me. I'm generally responsive to my messages and, <laughs> you know, that's a good way to find me. Awesome, Natalie. Well, Hey, this has been a lot of fun as it always is when we chat. Can't wait to be cheersing a glass of wine with you in person now that events are a thing again in two weeks. Otherwise, thanks so much for joining our podcast and being on our show. You have a good one. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate you having me. See you soon. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 